Hello and welcome to the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast. My name is Luke Burridge and this is the show where I review every single science fiction book that I read as I read it. There's no set schedule, it's just whenever I finish a book, I do the review, stick it up here on the podcast feed for everyone to download and listen to. Joining me today is Juliana. Say hello, Juliana. Hello, everyone. And uh, today uh, I read the book, which is a good thing. I'm also not ill. Uh, well, I say I'm not yeah. ill. I'm not recovering. From, before I wasn't ill because I'd had no. a, a a COVID booster shot last weekend. Yes. And even though we decided to record a podcast with a book that I hadn't reviewed. Anyway, some feedback in the in the Goodreads uh, SFBRP listener group was that it was a subpar episode because I hadn't read the book, I think is yes, what it came down to. but also because you were not feeling so well so you also couldn't really bounce back anything yeah. so it was a bit it was a hard job for me we've learned our lesson now yes. from now on luke reads the book or doesn't try and podcast while having very little energy uh, <laughs> and i got more energy today good um so uh, today's book that we're going to talk about oh actually first of all i want to ask you leona question go for uh, it did you enjoy the uh, get back the beatles documentary about the recording of abbey road slash uh, let it be albums oh yes Enjoy. i really enjoyed it it was so great to see the music appearing yeah like the songs that we all know and yeah. i had a phase in my i don't know how old i was but i often had phases where i listened excessively to certain types of music yeah. and i had a beatles phase and i listened to lots of songs um and so i knew the songs i know the songs quite well and so it's really fun to see them just sitting there jamming and then yeah. you hear snippets appearing yeah. and then it or it comes more and more together and then yeah. here it is the finished song uh, really but it, great. no the thing is it is it isn't just then here it is the finished no. song and that's what that really sh- i think i think one of the biggest myths that people uh, believe about the beatles is that it all came from like genius and of course a lot of genius there as well yes but uh, so much of it came from right we have got three weeks in a studio we've got all of these songs that we've already written everyone mm. goes away and like everyone's written lots of ideas and comes together yes and the clip that everybody is or oh, i saw shared quite a lot that got millions of views was uh, uh paul mccartney with his with his bass and kind of just like strumming on his bass yeah while while ringo and uh and uh, george kind of sit watching him kind of like nodding at him uh-huh. and they go and it goes like uh someone says sort of like oh this is the most amazing moment of creativity i've ever <laughs> seen and it's sort of like yes in the next 45 seconds paul will come up with the idea which was going to become their next hit yeah, and he comes yeah, but- up with the riff that is yeah. like get back yeah and I'm like, that wasn't where the hit came from. Uh-huh. That wasn't a moment of genius. That was a small amount of inspiration. What then they had to do is spend another two and a half weeks drilling down and tra- playing that time and time again. It yeah. was so difficult yeah. to get it right that they actually lost a member of the Beatles for a while. George Harrison lo- left the band over the guitar part of that. Yes. They got a new member in who was credited. And that's like, again, the only... Uh, the only uh, Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it was the only Beatles release which has a non-Beatle credited in Mm. it with Billy Preston. And they managed to get him back in and then they went up to the rooftop and recorded and it took them like four attempts to get a good enough recording to get it done. So for me, yes, ideas can come in 45 seconds. To make a finished work takes a lot, lot more. And I think this is certainly what shows, what what, what we can see in this documentary is, first of all... um, that you you kind of need the the a fitting environment yeah the environment matters where yeah. where you you 
you get creative and also we see that it is a slog yeah i mean it's yes it's, of course things come to come yeah. quickly but only s- small snippets and but, to, to to the finished product yeah there you have to write the lyrics yeah and, and it's so great saw, it's yeah. so great to show that the work that goes into a novel or well, not into a novel into this in case it's an album mm. but you don't see the when you read a novel unless you follow along with them on their on the author's blog or if mm. you if you're following along with people you don't see the struggles of the creative process to put yeah. something together in the final work you don't hear that in the albums of of uh, you know abbey road and uh, and let it be yeah you don't you don't hear it in the album but you do see it in this thing the other myth which uh, we talked about as well which i kind of want to bring up here is the is the myth of um is is the myth that yoko ono broke up the beatles yes which even at the time the Beatles knew wasn't the case. Yes. It was just the easiest thing that people could point at and say, this is what has changed about the Beatles. And therefore the Beatles, if something goes wrong, the Beatles break up. There's that clip. And I've heard this before where they're actually laughing about it and they say, oh yeah, and it's going to be weird in 50 years time, which was 50 years ago. In 50 years time, people are going to look back at this and say, isn't it weird that the Beatles broke up because Yono Ono set on, sat on George Harrison's guitar amp. And that, y- that ne- yeah. Yeah. So what did I say? Yono Ono. Uh, okay, sorry. Yono Ono. Yono Ono. Yoko Ono sat on uh, on George's guitar amp, and it never happens. You never no. actually see that no. happening there. No, but um, but it's great. I mean, of course, in having a documentary, yeah. uh, there's always um, artistic choices by the editors. Yeah. And the way that things are being edited together tell stories. Yeah. And you can tell different stories. Yeah. But what I definitely see here is that. Sure, Yoko Ono is there most of the time. Yeah. Generally just is sitting really close yeah. to John Lennon and just reading, reading uh, newspapers, yeah. letters and But like doing pointedly stuff. not being interested exactly. unless she's doing joining in on some jam where she's like yeah, where she's you just know, screaming oh, into the she's microphone. dancing with <laughs> dancing along to whatever. Yeah. But again the 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 myth which i heard like i even remember at yeah. school or at college or whatever people were saying oh yeah you know i hate yono oak yoko, uh, ono. yoko ono i'm saying it the wrong way around yoko ono because she's the one who broke up the beatles yeah. but of course you know every band breaks up it's yes. very rare that bands don't break yes. up every band which is around except for the rolling stones but every band has broken up yeah and they break up for reasons and you can see the reasons why the beatles broke up in the documentary and it was because yeah. george wanted to write have more songs more writing control the two guys the two main guys couldn't were, were struggling more and more to write songs together yeah. even though they're so polite to each other the yeah. entire time everyone is the most polite yeah. to each other they never raise their voices with each other everything is done with these discussions yeah. they hid a microphone in the flower pot or whatever in the teapot and mm. got a discussion like a really heartfelt discussion between paul and john and it's like the most civil thing civil yeah. conversation i've ever yeah. heard it's crazy crazy how nice they were to each other all the time of course yeah. we, we have to keep in mind first of all that they knew they were recorded yeah and i'm no, sure i'm saying even in the hidden microphone section in yes. the time when they yeah, weren't yeah. being recorded yes but they but, were being recorded but at some point they had the conversation with george yeah and that wasn't recorded yeah and that wasn't uh yeah they said it didn't any, go down well yeah. and i'm sure they have had struggles with each other yeah. i think the main thing that we can take from this documentary is yeah. first of all yes this this easy myth of what headlines uh, newspaper headlines put out yeah. easy oh yoko ono broke yeah. up the beatles is like one of those obvious 
things that happens over and over. Yeah. What, what did, what, how yeah, was it called? You were the looking evil at it. woman. Yeah. Uh, but, it's, but it's fun that that becomes one of the myths of the Beatles. So when when other like piss takes of the Beatles or when other like fate like with the uh, with the um, this is Spinal Tap, mm. one of the main things that they bring in to cre- cause drama in the band halfway through the movie is it Janine? Um, what they bring in, which is the long term girlfriend slash wife slash partner yeah. of one of them who then comes in and tries taking over in the band and becomes this controlling force mm-hmm. so much so that the final one of the final shots is um her standing there and then the manager of the band with the the cricket bat like palming the cricket bat next to her to make like pretty much saying if you say or do anything you know i now have the power of this ba- of this cricket bat that i can now hit you with it mm-hmm. you know um or whatever like threatening and and then the ruttles which was another like fake this was a fake beatles kind of takeoff like the beatles yeah. and the ruttles yeah. there the yoko ono character was like so over the top i think she even had a hitler mustache at, at one point or yeah. something to show how like there's like, lots of things yeah. that come together there yeah my and point being is that look all of this is an introduction into the book that I we're going to be talking about but i have stuff to yeah. say about this but as well. you were talking about the like going all the way back to uh you, you asked me what are the other times when a woman has come into a group and then is blamed for breaking up the group no, no i didn't say oh, why no, what did you i say? said that happens over yeah. and over again because no, but you it's asked the me... easiest scapegoat is the easiest thing to say and it's happened yeah. uh, over the course of human yeah. history yeah. who is to be blamed oh the woman yeah. of course because the woman comes in and breaks up the guys yeah. you know the gang and so it happens again and then yes we went i went back and thought uh what where else did that happen and i yeah. uh, what did i, I, come s- up I said with? mary oh, I magdalene came, i said mary yeah. magdalene and, and, I, and, broke, and up, I said, broke up uh, the disciples i said eve yeah. you know eve is the the first no not the first but it's one of those uh, very very famous yeah the woman did yeah. the the thing yeah. and everything went south yeah. from there blame the the myth is yeah. we and, and that's the whole point of this what is the useful myth that comes from blame eve for being chucked out of the garden of eden blame eve for the fall of man yeah um blame yoko ono for the for the uh, the beatles the myth of that is we men have to stick together mm. it's a it's a learning like that's what this myth is for and mm. that's why it's told over and over again mm. the myth like this myth that we the the value that is in this myth is don't trust women Yeah. bros before hoes or whatever yeah, the uh, expression is yeah that's literally what it is and that comes all the way through to these days where like oh you know you know the cancel culture and who is it who's the was it the governor of no not the governor who was it who was kicked out of in politics in new york andrew como Co- or something Co- like that yeah and then his brother who was like a, an on-air news anchor guy yeah. or something yeah. like that and he's sort of like oh yeah of course i covered up for my brother because he's my brother and you're like yeah. oh no no that's not that's actually the wrong that's actually the wrong message yeah. you know yeah, it happens everywhere yeah all the time and uh and so what what was really brilliant to see in this documentary is that um that Yoko Ono didn't have no. any she didn't she didn't say anything yeah uh, she wasn't then sitting in the recording booth with them uh, saying like Telling oh what to do yeah do this take that this is like kind of like what that whole uh, oh she broke them up that was always what was yeah. put in she, people's heads um, that she was coming in musically and that she had interfered and stuff now of course 
if you are together as a band for 10 years or more, you're going through cycles of different uh, life stages. And it is so obvious to me in this in this documentary how you yeah, can see where they had reached, where they reached yeah. and they had different different desires yeah. they wanted to do different things and george harrison just wanted to have to have first of all uh, more say into the songs that they were yeah. doing not only doing his songs but yeah. also contri contributing to, to the, the arrangement yeah that's what it comes down to is that the the documentary makes it very clear that any issues that they might have had in early 1969 was yeah. not about yoko ono it was all about songwriting yeah. songwriting credit yeah. control of you know musical arrangements and yeah. difficulties and then it was hinted at the business arrangements because they're like yes. hey this guy who's yeah. managing the rolling stones we should get with him mm. and paul's like no i'm not interested and everyone's like oh he's fascinating yeah. and then you hear was it Glynn or Glynnis? They was called. They killed him Glynnis, but he's actually called Glynn. Um, yeah. And then he's like, mm, interesting guy. I really don't like him. He's he's a genius, but also really I dangerous. Don't like the way he talks to yeah, me. I don't like the way he talks yeah. to people like yeah. that. And it turns out he was a really bad thing. He was the reason why the Rolling Stones had to like move to France because yeah. of tax avoidance. And yeah. that's the thing that broke up the Beatles was the business arrangements and songwriting credits yeah. and songwriting stuff. I think personally, not Yoko Ono. I think personally, you can't say this one thing broke up the Beatles. It was first of all a process. Specifically, the point of this entire introduction, it wasn't Yoko Ono. Ono, yes, who broke no. the beetle she's she you can see in the documentary she's john lennon's like comfort animal yeah, like she's just sitting she's, she's, close like, to him she could be like the cat on yeah. on the chair because for, for the year before like the previous album and stuff they hadn't even recorded in the same studio mm. they like weren't even on each other's tracks yeah. like because he was so broken up you know one about you know their their manager dying and yeah. also his previous relationship breaking yeah. up yeah. you're just sort of like oh she's just a calming presence there yeah. nothing but a calming presence no. sometimes an awkward presence but every all of the band when they're talking about it would seem to be a hundred percent accepting of the fact that look if we're working together as a band and paul is here paul is a better paul when yoko ono is sitting within hand reach of him no like john sorry, certainly not jo paul. oh yeah sorry john john is a better presence yeah john is a better presence when yoko ono is sitting yeah. there like and if you like can only get doing a crossword her, puzzle yeah. yeah all right anyway all of this to say yes. is we enjoyed the beatles and we enjoyed discovering new truths about the beatles of course documentary edited truths yes but on also discovering new myths about the beatles and kind of dispelling myths about mm. the beatles now this might seem like a 14 and a half minute introduction which has got nothing to do with the book that we're about to read but this has got literally everything everything to do with the book that we're gonna that i, that I read called the einstein intersection okay. by samuel uh delaney i read a previous book of his no yes. actually i read the following book of this oh the uh, follow-up to the, that the, no not the follow-up book oh the following like he wrote a number of novels this yeah. is one of his early novels yeah i also read nova which is the novel that he wrote after this okay when did he write this i book? read that pre i read that earlier this year yes and I then remember. i was looking back through the audible free library and i spotted this and i was like oh the einstein in the section i know that book not because i know it but i've seen it mentioned in numerous times because when you look through the list of uh, nebula award winners mm -hmm. you go all the way back to the start i actually made a spreadsheet a few years ago when i was reading all of the hugulas all of the yep. novels that had won both the um nebula and uh, hugo, hugo award so you go all the way back to the start and you've got dune you've got flowers for algernon um you've got uh you know the left hand of darkness ring world and in that group is also uh 
uh, Babel 17 or Babel 17, which is by Samuel L. Delaney. And you've got the Einstein intersection by Samuel R. Delaney. So okay. it's always been there, the Einstein intersection. This is a, a book. It's a weird book. But it's a book very explicitly about myths mm-hmm. and the cr- what myths are used for and the creation of myths and also like the replaying of myths. Yeah. At the start of the book, there's this discussion. Like, in, in fact, there's a few times in the books where the main character who is called Lobi or Low Lobi, Low mm-hmm. is his title. Mm-hmm. Um, so like he's Low Lobi. And he's asked, what do you know about myths? Like, or what do you know about this myth? Or what do you know about that myth? Mm -hmm. Because the setup for the book is really weird because you only find out what the actual setup for the book, like what is the world that you're living in? Yeah. You only know that when you get about uh, like past halfway of the book when okay. a lot of action has happened. Okay. And I didn't know what the setup for the book was. I just knew it by reading it. Yeah. And maybe there was some stuff earlier in the book. But um, as I got through, I was like, ah, now I understand the setup. And I got all the way through to the end. Mm-hmm. And I thought the whole book, my first reading of it, I say first reading of it because it's only a four hour, four and a half hour audio book. It's 150 pages, like novella length. Yeah. If it was, uh, if it the was submitted, opposite of a chunky book. Yeah, it was the opposite of a chunky book. And I got all the way through to the end and I was like, you know what? I need to go back and start that again. So I went back and I listened to the whole thing again. So even though it was only a four and a half hour audio book, plus there's a 20 minute introduction by Neil Gaiman, but a okay. um, prologue introduction. Um, I, I listened to it all the way through a second time and I enjoyed it more the second time because things were clearer to me. Right. And, uh, and so the setup, weirdly, is that... In the future, 30,000 years in the future, Mm -hmm. humanity has like left Earth, kind of, but not just left Earth, but like left this plane of existence and left behind human bodies and human souls or human stuff behind. And another, um, like an alien race, maybe comes to our plane of existence or comes from outside, discovers Earth and is like, great, we will now inhabit these human bodies mm-hmm. and we will try and continue on with the, like we will try and continue on some form of life on Earth in the ruins, in the 30,000 year old ruins of planet earth and humanity (laughs) okay and down in the there's these like underground passages where they uh you know where there's uh uh, computers down there and you sometimes talk to computers and the computers do and there's also a source of radiation in the earth which they use to update or to like when they need to kind of diversify the genes of humanity that are left over yeah they're like oh we can go down there and use the radiation to cause mutations and we can kind of Mm. diversify and there's lots of stuff in the book about breeding that like we can't just breed in these small things we have to have like orgies that get together and other places like oh we don't do the orgies because it gets a bit messy in these big cities so we actually do it all Mm -hmm. by artificial insemination but it's really difficult to have like an artificial intelligence no an artificial insemination orgy like those two things don't go together no um so that's the setup but these aliens that are taking on human lives are fascinated by human myths right. and try to like relive or relearn the lessons of the myths. Okay. They want to live mythic lives. Right. The myths of humanity, they then say the humans' myths are what brought like what brought meaning to human lives and because we want to recreate them we also want to recreate these myths not only recreate them we want to relive them and there's this line at the start of the book which is um uh uh, what does it say 
actually, I didn't make a note of it, but it was pretty much saying that like every myth is based on a previous myth with key parts reversed yeah. and key parts changed, changed yeah. in some way. Yeah, you know, like I mentioned in the in you know the uh, was it in the podcast we were doing where they were mentioning the Gideon stones and yeah. this and that. Yeah. And I was saying that's the whole point of that is that you can take a myth from a previous thing, retell it, and in the changing, mm. discover what's important about it. Yeah. So, like I say, the Gordian knot, Alexandria solves some uh, riddle or solves a problem by chopping something in half. Yeah. And that's to show that he's he's not an intellect. He's like, I will take a sword and solve it with the sword. And then Solomon, the myth of Solomon, of him chopping the baby in half is the opposite way round. He has, like, showing how wise he is as compassion with his. The story doesn't make any sense except that, you know, there's some, like, the king is, cho- is, is going to chop something in half to solve a problem. Right. And it's a different thing. And you're like, they're not connected. They're not the same story. It's like, no, they're based on the same story. And it only makes sense if you know the previous one and how it's changed. Yes. And there's discussions about this. Like literally one person is saying, look, um, if you're Orpheus um, and this person is Lucifer, Mm. I am Judas. I am going to betray someone. That is what I'm going to do. Okay. Like... Like when someone comes to me, my role here mm. is to like I'm going to be the betrayer. Okay. And because that is what I'm choosing for myself to bring, you know, I'm again it's it's not all of this isn't explicit in the text, but it's all there. Right. One of the myths at the start of the book is this, and I'm gonna uh uh this is sort of like something I wrote down from the listening. So it's probably not exactly right. And it says this, the Beatles after their hard day's night were ripped apart by screaming girls. Ringo, the unsinging, the unsinging one left Maureen and went into the rock and into the roll. In a previous myth, Ringo was called Orpheus and he was the singing one. And so what this book is, this book was written in let me have a quick look here. It was uh, oh, it was published in 1967. So this is from the time when the Beatles were active. Yeah. And he decided that he was going to, this is Samuel R. Delaney, he was going to say in 30,000 years in the future, there's going to be myths about the Beatles, which have continued on. <laughs> yeah. And Ringo is going to have become the new Orpheus. Right. And it talks about Ringo... Um, leaving Maureen, you know, Maureen Starkey. And she makes a, a, an appearance there in yeah. the Get Back documentary. Yes. You know, she's yeah, there she's in the control booth. like twice or something. Yeah. Well, all of the all of the girlfriends, or, you know, most yeah. of the wives and girlfriends appear a few times. Yeah. But she, she isn't like, quite as important. Your co-owner's there the most. Yeah, yeah, of course. Linda, yeah. Linda Eastman yes. slash McCartney, McCartney turns up. A few, a few times, yeah. And then uh, Maureen is there as well. Maureen appears a, yeah. few, a few times. Um, but it's funny that that's the myth. But I really like, I really enjoyed that they were ripped apart by screaming girls. Literally, what? kind of like what happened well, in, it, it, in the in the US when they went to the US. Yeah, and they yeah, never, they couldn't. They, they couldn't wanted, have, yeah. And they, you know, after their hard day's night. And that's literally like, oh, you know, as I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And they went into the rock and they went into the roll. And in this place, the rock and the roll or rock and roll yeah. has become a thing about like, oh, you know, of going into the afterlife. Yes. And, you know, your spirit goes, your body goes into the rock and your spirit goes into the roll. I can't remember exactly okay. what it was. 
that's but then fun. there's also um, quotes in the book that it's not just the Beatles. Um, there's something he was mad as all Elvis. So instead of saying I was mad as all hell, um, you know, mad as all Elvis. And okay. Elvis has obviously become a mythic, legendary figure for these aliens who have taken over the bodies of the, of the humans, humans on Earth and are looking back through their previous myths. Yeah. That they have these different layers of myths. And of course, the 1960s, when the book was written, has been added on top. Of, it's like another layer of mythic achievements and mythic people. Yes. And Ringo is one of those. Like That's... throughout the book, they're like, "Who are you? Are you Orpheus or are you Ringo? Like, are you that? Like, if you're going to take on the role of this new person, are yeah. you going to be the new Orpheus? Yes. Or are you going to be Ringo? Yeah. Um, I uh, this this book sounds really fascinating. It has it has a lot of things to process. Um, but I want to just ask about one thing. Um, so these alien uh, alien things inhibiting the humans, are they taking um, human myths and then on top of that also having, they taking that and making their own myths yeah. out of it? Yeah, kind of. That's interesting. But because Because this kind of like we... The idea of, hey, let's take the human bodies and relive the myths that they It's had not to, so much to... about reliving the myths. It's about now their guides. They're very self-conscious about what what is myth? What are we learning from myth? Mm. And using myths to give their lives direction and meaning. Yes. But let me come to my yeah, point. Yeah, sorry. So what they what they are doing, but by doing that and learning about the myths, they are by default making their own creating their own yes. thing yes. because you can't you can't take a myth and relive it yeah because it is a myth and when you when you re relive it or want to understand it and then you you try to walk the same steps you yeah. are creating a new myth well and that's that is one of the main points of the book mm. is that the einstein intersection mm. is kind of like the relativity it's like einstein and godel uh Uh, with the Godel's incom Godel, am I getting it right? Right? Yeah, Godel. Uh, with the incomplete incompleteness theorem mm -hmm. of not like if you are in a system, yeah. you can't know anything outside of your system if the system is testing. You know, there's a bit of that quantum yes. stuff yeah. going on as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like the like you knowing about the myth and trying to live the myth changes yeah. what the myth can exactly. be to you. Yes. You can't. And you know, there were there were what it says in the book. There's like there's infinite things mm. which are. Uh, There are infinite true things which are unknowable if they're true or not, yes. or whatever it is to go to. Yes. And that is what they're saying that in the 1960s or in the in the 20th century, the Einstein intersection happened where we managed to pin down, we managed to put a pin in what is true and knowable, mm -hmm. you know, with relativity and, you know, what what is observable. Mm. And also we we understood that there's many things which aren't observable yes. from within the system that we live exactly. within. Exactly, yeah. That is also one of the main themes of the, or a big part of the themes of the book mm. is that you, if you know about the myths, You can't recreate them. Like at yeah. one point with the, you know, because he's saying he's the new Orpheus. They're like, look, you've come to, you've come to get Frieza, uh, his his um, his wife or his his lover um, mm. who died, and now he's trying to go into the underworld to get back. Yeah. They're like, look, we can give you to her, and you can walk out with her, but you've got to walk in front. And if you look round, well, she's just a hologram; she'll just disappear yeah. anyway. So there's no point in doing this. And he's like, yeah, okay, there's no point in doing that. I'm like, oh great, like it isn't just a replaying of Orpheus. There's a lot of replaying of Orpheus, but yeah. when you get back to that key point yeah. of walking out of the afterlife, and not or walking turning out around. Of, 
walking out yeah. of uh, uh, of Hades Town, yeah. uh, which is the last, which is the last kind of retelling of of uh, Orpheus mm. in Eurydice. Is Eurydice, Orpheus yeah. in Eurydice. Yeah. Um, which is a Broadway musical which won all the Tony Awards that yes. few years ago. Yes. I uh, I listened to the the cast album and very much enjoyed about half of it, but it does go a bit long. Yeah. I guess if I watched the if I actually watched it on stage there'd yes, be a lot more going be, on yeah, than just yeah, the song. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But it, it it, was, it's some great music. It's some great music, but you really do understand that it was it's written like the music and lyrics and book is all by one person mm-hmm. who has got a really they have got a, an amazing fifty percent of a uh, of a of a, a, a stage production or album there ready to go, and yeah. then it's padded out. And then you had it's all the yeah. I looked at the Wikipedia page there, which was sort of like yes, it was written as this, and then it was made into a concept album, mm-hmm. and this was back in like ten years ago, and then the like, and then it was expanded out. They wrote 15 more songs to make it yeah. into the Broadway production. Yeah. I was like, yeah, when you listen to the Broadway production, you can tell there's a lot more added in here to make it into a full length show. Yeah. Anyway, Orpheus, a uh, musician. Great. In this book, Lolobi is a musician. He's got this machete. It's a knife, but he can also, you can blow into one end and there's holes going down the blade and you put your fingers on it. He plays it like a flute, a flute. but he can play like three or four, you know, uh, lines at once uh-huh. because he's also got mutated feet with more fingers. So he can actually, uh-huh. you know, hold it in his foot and then play with three, like three lots of fingers going down there as well. Okay. Um, he has a, a, a his, uh, his freezer who is his, uh, his lover dies and then he gets to go to, he has to go and talk to Kid Death which is uh, uh, like, yeah, not Hades. No, um, the, uh, uh, it's going to come to me. The, the, the guy who stands in front of Hades. Yeah, let me have a quick look here. Uh, the uh, no. He goes to... Uh, oh, no, Hades is the, uh, is the, is the god. Um, Hades and Persephone. Uh, anyway, so... He talks it, to the guy on in the, the, the but the thing is, guy. my my knowledge of the Orpheus myth is like all oh, this wishy washy yes, thing filtered yeah. through all of these other retellings, and yeah. I'm like, then there's going to be yeah, and then there's Cerebus, isn't it? The dog with mm-hmm. three heads, and I was like, well, he's going to meet a dog, and he's going to go underground, makes him fall asleep yeah. by playing his flute. I can't I can't remember, <laughs> it, but anyway, all of this kind of stuff happens yeah. throughout the book, and again, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but he meets someone who's then the new Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me have a quick look here as well. Yeah, oh, he talks to you know he kills a minor a minotaur a minotaur a, a thing like that rides some dragons um and someone says oh yeah you can kid death along a bit and you'll get what you want so he's like right i've got to kids death like i've got to trick death i've got yeah. to kid death and then the name kid death just becomes like the name of it because it's sort of like okay. billy the kid or something <laughs> okay um there's different characters that come up ledoric a doric person do you know what doric is no. Doric, it's the Dorians, the Greeks. It's just another name. So I was like, oh. all right, we've got some Greek myth coming in here. Okay. There's a character called Spider, a character called Green Eye. Um, then they go and talk to the Dove, who is like another mythic feature, lovable, feature. Yeah. lovable woman and stuff. And then um, all there's loads of really good stuff in there. But so having now read this twice, because I kind of needed to read it twice yeah. to really understand what's going on here. The really interesting thing about the novel is that it is very postmodern as well because it's a story in which the characters in the story know that they're in a story. You understand what I mean? Yes, of course. Like they are saying, this is, we are are living myths and Mm -hmm. we're going to talk to each other about myths and we're going to try and, you know, not recreate the myths, but like, you know, do the mythic things, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's happening there. 
Also, it's a very kind of postmodern book because you get the um, the epigraphs, graphs. which is the one. Epigraphs. Yeah, ep- yeah the, the, the bits that go in front of the chapters, which are extract from others' books, other yes. people's books. Yes, epigraphs. Now, there's a few different ways of doing this. One is that epigraphs. you take things. Yeah, we look at every single time I talk about this. Epigram. Epigram. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't believe. I'm sorry. Epigram, epigraph. Epigraph is a phrase, quotation, or poem that is set at the beginning of a document, monograph, or section. Yeah, okay, so it is an epigraph. So in some ways, epigraphs are clever that you can actually take things from the the rest of literature. You know, like when we were talking about Piranesi, they took an epigraph and it's just from like The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. And you're like, all right, this sets this up for what we need to know here. Um, other times you can get fake epigraphs by, like, this is what happens in Dune, in the book in Dune, at the beginning of every chapter. They're like, here's a bit from the history written by, by this person. Yeah, this person yeah. about this time. Yeah. And because she was the daughter of the emperor who later became um, Paul's wife. And then this, you know, the epigraphs come from her telling of the history. But then Dune, the book is a different thing, but it's like yeah. reflects backwards and forwards. Someone in the future of the book writing back and you get these little inserts in there. Yes. Um, so you, you you kind of get that that might not be a, a trustworthy yeah. Narrator. Yeah. If it's from another work, you go, oh, this is sort of like an, a literary kind of reflection or a poetic bit in yeah. it. The book, this book, the Einstein Intersection, starts off with that. Mm-hmm. Then he starts putting as epigraphs sections from his diary or his journal that he was writing. As he was writing the novel, Delaney, Delaney oh. is putting his own alongside like, <laughs> here's this bit of poem from Tennyson and here's this bit from, you know, Metamorphoses in the English version. Yeah. And, you know, like and here's something from, uh, you know, the uh, uh, what is it? The uh, uh, Desada, who is it? You know, who wrote the uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. all of these things throughout literary history. Like yeah. I'm going to now reference this myth and this literature and this retelling yeah. of this. And this is something from Virgil. And here's something. And then he starts entering his own journal entries as epigraphs <laughs> into the book that he's writing. Right. He's, he's literally on a trip around Europe. Okay. He, 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 he it starts. He starts off in Paris and then he goes down to Rome. Mm-hmm. He goes across to, you know, the Greek islands yes. uh, from Italy, goes across to Istanbul. And of yeah. course, that's why in the next book, Nova, that he wrote, there's a there's a it's... setting in Istanbul in the in the markets there. And then he goes over to uh, London. Yeah. And then he finishes the novel in London. So sometimes he's sort of like, yeah, I was hanging out with the sailors and they were talking about this and that. And then I wrapped up with them and then did this. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then the book isn't just about his journeys around these places where these myths are from. Yeah. You know, you can go to the River Styx. Yes. You know, it's in Greece. Like you can, or you can go to Mount Olympus. You can go to these places where these myths were. I mean, everywhere has a Mount Olympus because all of the big mountains, which has lightning on the top of it, as, oh yeah, Zeus lives up there or whatever (laughs) it is. Um, but in Greece and Turkey, in those places, you can go to it. You, that's why you can go to the Bosphorus. That's why it's in those n- novels. And um, 
And so he starts writing these passages about the writing of the novel itself. Right. He's saying, all right, I've got to get these characters to go where I want them. <laughs> and he's sort of like, oh, yeah, I saw this kid in the market and he had red hair. All this time, Kid Death has had black hair. But I think Kid Death should have red hair. So when I go back and rewrite this, I'm going to give him red hair. And I was like, yeah, he's had red hair all the way through this novel. Like Kid Death, when he was introduced, he had red hair. And I was like, oh, yes, of course, because now I'm right. I'm reading journal entries right. from before. And it was literally the second time through when it was really clear to me what was going on here. Yeah. I mean, I, I I noticed it the first time through, but yeah. I was like, hmm, that's a weird choice. What's it? Like, why is this? You know, yeah. <laughs> but it was the second time through when I was knowing what to look for, that's where clever. this kind of postmodern thing. It's uh, like it's like the meta, the meta of the meta uh, yeah. level of writing. Yeah. That's very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, it says... Uh, maybe I'll change Kid Death's hair from black to red. And he says, let, and at one point he's like, right, let's wrestle these characters to their endings. And this is sort of like all the characters, they've done the main things. Mm. What happens at this point where he's like saying, let's wrestle these characters to their endings. They've all played out their roles of their myths. Right. You know, yeah. Orpheus has done his thing. Jesus has done his thing. Uh, you know, Satan or Kid Death or Hades has done his thing. Mm -hmm. Jesus has done. They didn't mention Jesus anyway. Um, the Dove has done her thing. All these characters have done their things, but they're all still around. Mm. And the and the myths they've they've either decided to fulfill their mythic roles yes. or go against their mythic yeah. roles yeah. in different ways. And then he says, and they're still there, ready to go. Like they still got stuff to do. Like yeah. they're still and they we still need to have an ending. And then he puts down this line which i thought was really good which was endings to be useful must be inconclusive and Aww. then the last chapter of the book begins and right. i was like oh i've got to write that down unfortunately i was i was driving in the car back oh, from yeah. uh, muggleberg the yeah. other day when that happened i literally pulled over to the side of the car and typed into my phone endings to be useful must be inconclusive and then he writes an inconclusive ending where the character, one of the characters sits down with the other one and goes, oh, what are you going to do now? And he's like, well, you know, there's different things to do. Like if I choose to like go, go and have another stab at this myth, I could, I think I might go on a trip for a while. <laughs> you know, I think I might do a tour around Europe. I might visit, you know, um, uh, Paris, Rome, Rome, Athens, Istanbul <laughs> and London. It, it isn't said that because it's like it's like aliens. He's like, oh, I want to go to these other planets and yeah. I want to go across here yeah. and do yeah. that. But it, it doesn't. And then as soon as that happens, the book ends and he finishes it by saying um, 1967, Paris, London. No, Paris, Rome, uh, Athens, Istanbul, London uh, or whatever it was. And you're like, oh, right. So th the whole thing, the whole book is then cast as... Um, uh, as Samuel R. Delaney is trying to find his place and what myth he is going to live and right. what lessons for what all of these lessons that he can learn about yeah. this. One of the like author's notes that he's writing in his journal is saying, look, I'm really young. I was a child's prodigy. Like when I was writing my first novels, when I was getting my first novels written, like published when I was 16 years old, I mean, I looked it up, but he wrote this book when he was really young, yeah, like 22 years old, or 21 years old when, okay. when he was writing this book. Um, he's he's black. He's gay. He's from New York. He's he's traveling Europe, mm. and he's already a published science fiction author. And this book is about to win like the second ever or third ever Nebula Award is going to go to this guy. And he already had his a, previous yeah, book has already, already won. won. <laughs> yeah, Battle Seventeen has already won a Nebula Award. Yeah. Of course, at the time, 
the only other book that had won a Nebula Award when he won a Nebula Award was Dune. And the other book which won on the same year as him was Flowers for Algernon. And his book, and he's 21 years old. And he's black and he's gay, he's from New York and he's traveling around Europe. Like he literally says... What else do you achieve? He he literally says, "I I can't keep... You know, I can't keep going along just based on uh, being a child prodigy. Mm. I've got to find a voice. I've got to find direction. Mm. He himself is struggling with his like epic mythic status. Yes. As, well, maybe not status, but like like his journey. Yeah. And he's seeing in that journey, uh, in his own journey across Europe, he's he's using this novel as a way to work through how his different one of the concepts in the book is difference Mm. um which is something to do with you know uh like mind reading and telekinesis you know like the esp and extrasensory perception and extra sexually and extrasensory abilities okay telekinesis and telepathy and that kind of thing um and it's 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 doing exactly what they do with the x-men you know sort of like x-men are mutants Mm. they are others you know and Mm. they are persecuted as other yeah and and if you are an other, if you are a different person, we don't talk about it. It's actually really gross that you even bring up the fact that you're an other. Mm-hmm. And there's conversations in the book that are happening where, like, he's obviously had these same conversations mm-hmm. as a a 21-year-old gay black man from New York. Mm-hmm. And the people in the book are pretty much saying to Lobie, don't rub that in our faces. Stop yeah. rubbing that in our faces. Mm-hmm. Get back in the closet. Go back to New York. Yeah. That's what I was reading in the book. Yes. Especially the second time through once I was working out like, oh, right, this is, I'm not just reading the book. I'm reading like the postmodern framing of the book through the eyes of the author's journals as he was traveling and writing about himself. Mm. Like I didn't, you know, you don't, you could read this book and not know he's a 21 year old black gay man from New York traveling in Europe. But if you do know that, there's a lot more in the book. And Neil Gaiman actually said the, the same thing because I didn't listen to his introduction the first time I read it through. Right. The second reading through, I was like, well, I'll read the... In- well, in fact, that's actually the reason why I read listen it the second it. time. Yeah. It's like, oh, let me go back and listen to the introduction yeah. by Neil Gaiman. I did, and then just carried on listening all the way through yeah. the whole book again. And he said, yeah, the, and Neil Gaiman's like, yeah, the first time I read this book when I was like 12 or 13, it was weird. I didn't understand it or anything. The next time I read it, you know, I was... 20 and and then the next and then the time after that i read it i'd met samuel l delaney or whatever, whatever yeah. it was going to be yeah um so makes uh, a lot of sense i think uh, i heard this quite a few times um from people uh who are gay and are very um uh, open about it to just you know just make it a normal thing yeah and then they often get to hear oh don't be so so open and loud about it yeah we don't want to know yeah you know we we don't want to hear that yeah again stuff. i don't know enough about samuel uh, samuel r delaney's li- life as a but as that's a gay certainly black something man. something that i i have read before that mm. this is the kind of behavior that people you have to deal with yeah and as a heterosexual <laughs> white woman i mean i'm not going out and saying whatever whatever but yeah. I, I of course when people ask something is going com, coming up and say yes uh my partner my husband my yeah. my boyfriend or something yeah. that's just something it's just very easy it's yeah. very easy yeah. to do and so I, we don't well even... weirdly enough now when i say my partner people don't 
don't always get it. And when I say my girlfriend, and then they're like, but you're married. I was yeah. like, yeah. That's, 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 the, that's the, the, the marriage is the less important part, that you're my partner and my girlfriend is way more important than the fact that we, you know, for mortgage reasons, we got married or whatever it was. It's not just mortgage. <laughs> but that's what I say. It's easy to say. Yeah. Say we were defeated by German bureaucracy and got married after yeah. 10 years. Um, anyway, my point being that it's definitely a book that if you read it the first time with if you now that you've listened to this podcast if you if you listen to this if people who are now listening to this podcast you can now go into the book and enjoy it knowing what i got out of the book mm. and you can maybe find some of that stuff in there too yeah it took me two reads to get all of that out of the book okay the first my first reading of this book was definitely like a three star reading cuz i clicked what he was doing at the start and then found it mostly unsatisfactory all the way through until quite near the end. And then once I understood what he was doing with the the author's journal stuff and some other bits and pieces, yeah. when it started clicking together by the end, I was like, oh, that's good. Was it always, was the book always this good? And I just wasn't quite getting it. Mm. And then on the second way through, I was like, oh, the book always that was, was always, always that good. <laughs> and now I did get like the, the enjoyment that I got in the last the last hour. I mean, it's like only a four hour audiobook. The yeah. enjoyment that I was getting in the first half an hour and the last hour of the first read through the second read through. I got the enjoyment all the way through. Yes. Let me put it that way. Yes, that makes sense. Which is so it's very difficult for me to rate this book. Obviously. Let, me, let me turn now to Twitter. Um, I want to oh, just yeah. just one thing yeah. because it is quite fascinating for me, and you you yeah. just skip past it because what? I think <laughs> alien beings inhabiting human bodies and then having orgies. What the? I mean, <laughs> there is there is <laughs> so much more to that. Really, there is, is like it's but a the four point hour is, book. Yeah, it's a four hour book. Hey, here's the thing. This mm. is the reason. Let me put it this way. I talked before about first novels. Yes. And what I really enjoy about people's first novels is these, you know, these these authors and they're like, all right, what's all the crazy ideas that yeah. I've had? They're all going in this. Now, this isn't Samuel R. Delaney's first novel, mm. but he's still a young enough writer that he doesn't have the fear to go like, let's just throw it all in here. Yeah. He like we're currently reading another Yoon Ha Lee book. Yes. Um, and, you know, Nine Fox Gambit is a five star, was a five star novel, is, was, is a nine five star novel for me because it is, it, it's at the point where the author is fearless to do the big thing mm. and to try the crazy idea and has all of the ideas just to throw in alongside the big idea as supporting ideas. Yeah. There's never, there's not a, there's not a crazy idea which they don't think is good enough and aren't brave enough just to chuck in there and it work and to be a supporting part. Yes. What I've talked about now, about like I didn't even, I haven't even explained why Lobi is called Low Lobi and what that even, what that title even means. That's no. up to people who read the book to discover okay. because it's crazy. And what the the reproduction and the way that they actually have structured their society yeah. is way crazier than anything I've mentioned so far. Okay. Like the fight scenes are way crazier. All the stuff that's happening in this book, like the twists and turns and at the end I was like, oh, I see what's going to happen. He can do this. Like all of that is still there for people to discover because the crazy shit, the crazy world building shit that you are now asking me about, wait a second, 
these these things I do <laughs> in, inhabiting human. Yeah, it's all crazy, and that's all the fun stuff. Okay. The structure of the book and what the book is mm. is the stuff that now I've talked about, which yeah. I think most people have missed when they read it. Yeah. And when you say, "Oh, I don't understand the book." All they're getting is the crazy, you know, funny fight scenes at the start and the crazy world building. Mm -hmm. And the book isn't good enough to hold together just with those crazy world building ideas mm -hmm. and the crazy setup and the crazy characters doing crazy jokes. And the references back to 1960s pop culture as yeah. the new Greek mythos. Yes. Um, the, the book isn't strong enough for that. It needs this other thematic ideas under, underlay that I have. But it here. has it. It ha This book has it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back now, as I said, yeah. back to April the 1st. Um, I, I had reviewed, or on March 27th, we had reviewed, or I had reviewed um, Nova by Samuel R. Delaney. I said, Luke talks to Juliana about a novel that is trying very, very hard. Nova by Samuel R. Delaney. And um, King of Divan, who is someone on uh, Twitter who uh, discovered this podcast or listened to the podcast, he says, so Luke knocked the no Nova for literary dick swinging. Here's my defense of literary, literary dick swinging. Did you like Stranger Things? It's with little references to 1980s movies and pop culture. It's the same thing as an Arthurian Grail reference. So then he goes on a, a how many th long was this thread? A 12 tweet tweet thread mm -hmm. saying how I missed the point of the book and Critton is like saying I didn't like the book because of this. Mm -hmm. Whereas in that podcast, I said I really enjoyed like 90% of the literary dick swinging, but that literary dick swinging got in the way of it being a good novel and a good story. Right. And I would have liked the literary dick swinging to be less of a hindrance to the rest of the novel, despite liking it all. And then I gave it a three and a half star review. Which and is so pretty decent. Yeah, so I actually, after him going through all that, I said, did you get to the part of the podcast where I said I liked the novel, novel overall, how I enjoyed a lot of the literary dick swinging? Oh, it says duck swinging here. Uh, how I di <laughs> didn't go into the book expecting it, uh, instead a proto-cyberpunk, but admired the effort anyway. Um... I says, uh, I obviously didn't communicate my enjoyment of the book in a way that works for you. So I'm not going to try and continue here. It's just your tweet thread only seems to convey that I didn't like the book and I'm dismissive of the efforts of the author. Neither is true. Um, so uh, he says, I was not trying to pick a fight. I was tr simply trying to defend significant portions of the book. I think that didn't appeal to you, but I think would in a different context. And I said, I liked all the literary dick swinging. However, it overwhelmed the rest of the novel. That was my point. It's like an ingredient in a meal. No matter how much you like Brussels sprouts, you don't want that taste in the wine and in the dessert. And then mm -hmm. I said, except all except the tarot reading scene that can fuck right off because that was like the worst bit of the book anyway what i'm trying what i want to say now is this is the book that we're reviewing the einstein intersection yeah he wrote that was the book that he wrote previous to nova yes and i think this is way better than nova mainly because it's shorter and partly because the literary dick swinging is in the it's, it's more in the book. It, it's, it's in the, the text of the book yes. it's this yeah. is a post this is more it's about post, it this is yeah this is a this is a novel mm. about liter, literary dick swinging you know yeah. so it's not out of place yeah and i don't even remember what the story of nova was except you know there was something going on here and meeting up with people and having parties or whatever like it it didn't support like it was it was weighed down by literary dick swinging this book is elevated by the literary dick swinging and also along with that all the other story parts about 
you know, the aliens from outer space <laughs> inhabiting human bodies, bodies, low, low, be, la, this, lay, that, you know, the other the titles that they have. All of that is like really strong. And then this layer on top of it, which is the mythic stuff and what is myth and is reliving myths helpful and what lessons do we learn from myths? Yeah. And you know fate and controlling and difference and all that kind of stuff is all layered on top of it so yeah good stuff so what does it come then in the rating if you gave the nova book 3.5 this is a four and a half star book good it could be oh here's something that i wanted to mention let me go back to the other tab let me close that one there um reading envy podcast jenny from reading envy yeah Episode one of Reading Envy podcast. Oh, yes. The first ever book that was ever discussed by Jenny mm. or anyone, because Scott, he went second. So she said, I'm reading this book. It's called The Einstein Intersection. It's a bit weird. I've got to think about it. Something, something, something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, yeah, it is. It is weird. You've got to think about it. And she read it. And I thought it was just interesting that this book is the, was the first ever book yeah. mentioned on the, uh, on, the, uh, on the Reading Envy podcast, um, which we've both appeared on a few times. Oh. I take my mouse up so I didn't get tangled and now I can't move my mouse far enough. Um, it turns out that you go over to the, uh, the the Goodreads page about the Einstein intersection. Yeah, and, and you she get wrote. It, she, go, she gave it four stars and this was back in 2014, January 13th, 2014. Something, something, something. Um, this book was, oh no, she says this was picked as uh, the first sword and laser uh, podcast book book club of the year i was thrilled after all one of my 2014 reading goals was to finally read delaney i'm not sure what to think of this particular book as an introduction to his work uh, i i enjoyed it i don't think it's a great introduction to his work i'm not sure what is but it's going great and then you read all these other things as well like that uh terp kirsten uh rated it one star i hope the next sword and laser pick is better this wasn't a great start to 2014 uh tamahomi rated it two stars buzz park rated it two stars um mike thick rated it three stars. lots of quite low ratings will rated it one stars um my first one star rating i usually don't i usually don't finish books that i'm not enjoying but i decided to power through this because it's so short it is very short yeah i hated it the entire time a lot Ooh. of these people reading it in January of 2014 or December of 2013. Literally, yeah, January yeah. 14. Like they all, all of got these it people, from people all reading, reading this podcast. It from, uh, I read this because of the uh, Sword and Laser. This is not a book to pick as a, a book club episode where, you know, thousands of people or however many people are going to want to join in with the uh with the with the was it here i think i think i'm actually still in the sword and laser um what group. is it it's a it's another podcast it's a, a science fiction podcast and they have a book club so one episode per month or at the end of every yet with the end of every fourth episode they do a a book club thing okay um I, I guess I left that group because, but I, I was at one point part of it just so I could easily keep up, like easily see what they were, what they, what yeah, they yeah. were reading. Just to get uh, yeah. recommendations. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, just to see what they yeah. But it's funny that so many people started reading this book all around about December 2013, January 2014. Yeah. And it just isn't a good pick for that. Yeah. Like you need to go into this book knowing that the other or the other book that you read by the same author was full of like overbearing literary dick swinging. Be happy enough with that and then go into reading this book <laughs> yeah. and if you do 
you, you'll probably enjoy it. Like if you know what to expect yeah. and then you read it knowing what to expect. I didn't know what to expect from the previous one because I, I literally thought that, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Nova. I heard this is like one of those really early like proto-cyberpunk novels. What's it, What's going on here? Go into it. There is that proto-cyberpunk stuff going on, but it isn't that. It's sort of like, yeah, William Gibson and Neur- Neuromancer took a lot from this book and... Like elevated cre- it well not elevated no, but it d- but d- used it, it further yeah used it mm. to create what we now think of a cyberpunk mm. that is, but that is not cyberpunk but that's what i was expecting i was expecting right. something more cyberpunkish yeah. rather than literary dick swinging ish um anyway <laughs> hopefully people understand Again, that this is that term what that term literary is- dick swinging I don't know. I think it's. You, a, you, you enjoyed saying it. I enjoy words. saying it. I don't yes. know if it's. A, I mean, did I just in, in come up with it? You, I'm not you sure. You probably just I, came up with it. Whatever it. Literary dick swinging. If that is what the novel is about, I'm okay with it. And the, and I realize now that Nova was written as the follow up to, to this book. No, not to this book. It was no, not the follow up. It was the next book an author wrote who had just won his second Nebula Award. <laughs> yeah. At the age of 23. And also who just came back from a uh, a trip abroad. Yeah. Well, actually, I think he Europe. was living. I think he lived in London for a while at that point. So okay. that was it. But I'd it, need to, I need to look up his uh, Wikipedia it page. It sounds like this be, kind okay. of like life phase where, um, and this, this, this person, obviously he, he came to Europe and then he wanted to uh, figure out what he wants yeah. with his life, no, with hi- himself. You and, do the grand tour, you know, that's yeah, yeah. the idea. That of... reminds me so much of like Goethe and these... Yeah. Or these ev- no, these... that's literally what you yeah. did. That's yeah. what he was I doing. It, you it, go, yeah. you set off from Germany or it, from London or wherever, you go to, go through Paris, see the sites in Paris. And you go, go to Italy. Yeah, go down to Italy. Yeah. You see the sites in Rome yeah. Yeah, and Florence and those things. Yeah. You, you retrace the steps of the renaissance the, the and then you go and, over and then yeah. you see the sites of the yeah. classics and yeah. the you know except that of course when goethe was living it took weeks to go from one place to another yeah and uh, these kind of travel times yeah. reduced quite a bit but in that's the what 60s you and that's what this book is yeah. well that's what this book is that's what is that, the background in, of this book yeah, yeah. the yeah. background of this book is and that's how it ends it literally ends with the words paris rome Athens, Istanbul, London, 1967. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that that, that explains a lot. Yes. That explains a lot. That yes. that path that you're taking there yeah. is a very interesting path. It's a very mythical path of fact Very mythical well. path. Yeah. Crazy Good. book. Four and a half stars. Four and a half stars for this one. However, first read through, nah. First read through. Like when I was like halfway through the book the first time, mm. I was like, mm, three stars. So basically take, if you're listening to this or to the audiobook. Take this as an eight-hour book. Yeah, and, and listen to it twice. Listen to it twice. <laughs> yeah, I think and that's it. I think if you're actually reading it on the page, I would have had a bit more time to pause and mm. stuff. But like, if you're listening to an audiobook while you're also stacking the dishwasher, <laughs> m- maybe you you don't you didn't pick up that they said every little bit. You yep. know, whatever the word was. What what line did I write here? Uh, no, I, I mostly wrote down the stuff that I... Oh, yeah, like as mad as all Elvis. Maybe that just slips by you or something. But yeah. if you read it on the page, you're like, Elvis, it's right there. Yeah. I can read yeah. it. All right, that's it. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Luke Burridge. Juliana is also at uh, uh, on Twitter, J-U-K-U Berlin. I'm on Instagram too. Um, so is Juliana under the same name. Yep. My Instagram and Twitter is just full up of juggling stuff at the moment because it's the end of the year. So it's the top 40 jugglers of the year. And... Uh, 
This year, spoiler for people following along, I'm at number 21. I'm voted the 21st most popular juggler in the English-speaking world at the moment. Well, uh, w- well, with a poll that I like, myself run. Yes, it's... it's It's yeah. Well, it's a compilation. Don't, you don't of need to comment on this. I just commented on it. Nominations. Um, so yeah, in an online poll that I run, I've come twenty first. Yes. Great, go Luke. Uh, yes, and uh, thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. A few people are, pa- are supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who does that. It's so fantastic. It's really helping us out because yeah. again, my live performance career is on big hold at yeah. the moment. Now with Omicron, yeah. I'm actually in this uh, in this. Uh, kind of quantum state of uncertainty. Do I have coronavirus? Because I met with someone who happened to have coronavirus but tested no, no, negative. Who, who, yeah, yeah, who tested t- negative before meeting with you. And then you after met, meeting, yeah. And then after meeting, you got the message, oh, now I'm home, yeah, I tested and positive. And that's about four days ago. So yeah. like tonight, if I test negative and tomorrow, it's probably going to be negative. But now this is what I'm going to do. But I mean, that quantum state was sort of like this morning, I was like, hmm, Do I have coronavirus or did I just... I think it, or, in the night... I, I was just, did I happened? just wake up? <laughs> in the night, you were snoring. Then, of course, your throat is dry. <laughs> yes. You wake up and think, uh, 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 that is it. Um, that's it. That, and, then, that's it. and then I was like, mm, I've got a slight headache. It's like, no, you're really tired. You've been working a lot. And you did three days of video editing and then lost it all. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. I've had to do like way more work than I yeah. thought because I lost three days worth of video editing for the first... Literally, that's the first time since 2003 that... Yes. I've lost that much data. It's crazy. Because I just messed up with some backup. I was like, oh, let me empty this from the trash bin and then mm-hmm, this and then mm-hmm. this. You you saw me do it. Yes. And then Are I you... went back and I was like, oh. O- it's like, oops. you know, when it's when there's that bit where it says, you cannot undo this operation. Do you <laughs> like, want to proceed? It, it's like, do you want to proceed? And I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> and, then, and then like six hours later, I was like, where did all that work go? Oh, really no. dumb. Yeah. It could have been there. Oh, we've gone one hour. Right, let's yes. wrap it up there. Uh, oh yeah, patreon.com forward slash Luke Burge if you want to support my juggling projects and also science fiction book review podcasting. And yes, and check out uh, uh, goodreads.com and I can see what you thought of this. Most people not into this book. This has actually got quite a low, what's it say here? 3.56, you know how I always say that like books are rated. This is not a book for general audiences no. of people who've been recommended to them as reading a book club thing. So yeah, that's why I think this book is so... Look at this, my friend's review, average rating among friends, 2.78 for this book. Oh, that's very low. 2.78. Maybe all the people who read it before didn't like it. Just go back and read it again. Mm, no, I just don't think you should. I don't think this is a book for general audiences. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm better than general audiences. Like, I... Like, as people were saying, oh, like, if you like a book full of references, you'll like Stranger Things because that's full of references. And I'm like, mm, not really the same thing. kind of thing. Mm. Um, and again, and I say this as someone who only has the vaguest memory of the myth of Orpheus filtered through yeah. an, an, a, a Broadway cast album that I listened to two years ago. Yeah. Like, that's my that's how well I know Orpheus. Yeah. In other words, not at all. And I think there's a three-headed dog. You know, that's literally uh-huh. what I know about this. Yeah. But this book is enough about myth that you don't... The, the specifics of the myth like oh, we're gonna do an Orpheus retelling like mm. if it if that was it I wouldn't be interested reminds me of that book In the Quick which had the Jeremy Geddes um, painting on the front yes. of it it's like and only halfway through or part of the way through I was like why is it feeling like this and then Jenny was like oh I don't like retellings and I was like oh it's retelling <laughs> yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
we're gonna we're gonna find a mad woman in the attic mm. and then a mad woman in the attic yeah, turns yeah. up and i was like oh that's really unsatisfying mm. but don't worry about nothing it. like that nothing like that in this book okay all right that's cool. it for me thanks a lot for listening and we'll catch you next time goodbye <laughs>